parish activities are in full swing, but according to the church calendar, we're in ordinary time. So why is the church ordinary? A local school is celebrating a big anniversary this year. 40 Days for Life kicks off this week, and a recent poll came out about conscious protection for health care. These topics and more are coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Good to see you again, Bishop. Yeah, John, it's uh, good to be with you today. You know, I was looking at the weather the other day, and I saw four storms out in the Atlantic again. And we're, we're still in hurricane season. We're st- churches are trying to plan events. And the last time we talked, we had escaped from a storm, but the Bahamas didn't, and our diocese did a big collection. How did we do? Well, you know, John, our people are very generous here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. Whenever we put out a call or an invitation to give for disaster relief, our, our parishioners, our faithful always respond. In this case, uh, as you said, I mean, the Bahamas and particularly Abaco Island and some of the other islands there were just flattened. You know, when you look at the pictures, it's even, it's hard to believe. But uh, we were able to send, in fact, just today I was able to send a check for $250,000 to Archbishop Pinder, who is the Archbishop of Nassau, just to be used at his discretion to assist with hurricane recovery efforts and emergency needs there in the archdiocese. So that's how we were able to respond. And I'm very grateful to the people of our diocese for being so generous. And I know there were some grassroots efforts uh, from some of our local parishes, some of our parishioners who were able to obtain um, vehicles, uh, boats, and and planes to do what they could. But this was such a different storm because it was so close to home, and yet we can't just drive a truck over there. No, we we can't. And in addition, uh, even a number of our schools, our Catholic schools had drives for supplies and just the basic things that people would need in in the days and weeks and months following a a devastating storm. So um, again, it was wonderful to see that response, even on the part of our young people and our children. Of course, the challenge is with those things is getting them to the people that need them. But those things seem to be working better than they have that in some other cases in the past. Sure. Well, speaking of schools, you paid a visit a week or so ago to Morningstar School, who's celebrating a big anniversary, a special school in our diocese. Sure is. I was at Morningstar School in Pinellas Park. It's located on the campus of Sacred Heart Parish and right next to, to Sacred Heart School. They're, celebra- they're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year, providing a, a quality education to students who have special needs, maybe who learn in different ways and just face challenges that most of us can't relate to. But yet, because of the dedicated faculty and staff there, the teachers, we're able to provide a good quality education and a faith-based education to these beautiful students there. It's very hard this day and age to be a school leader, an administrator, or someone in the classroom dealing with all the different regulations that teachers have to go through. Now, I can speak from personal experience that my wife is a school teacher, a kindergarten teacher, and I can tell you she comes home worn out some days and and some days frustrated. Oh, I I can't imagine. I mean, uh, as a bishop and as priests, pastors, you know, we, we visit our schools and 
you know, maybe we're there an hour <laughs> or so, an hour or two, and then we leave and go back to our lives, whereas teachers are with our students all day, five days a week. And I, I can imagine that that does take a lot of patience to be able to to be in that environment and to be at your best because you want to give your best to the students. But uh, boy, I just can imagine it must take a lot of energy and a lot of patience to be able to do that. Well, we certainly need to keep all of our teachers, especially those who are listening and uh, those working at some of our exceptional schools, keep them in our prayers because they do a tremendous good work. They sure do. And uh, again, what a blessing that Morningstar has been for us both in Pinellas County and Hillsborough County. And boy, at some point we're looking to expand even to our northern counties to to provide that education to our students with special needs. And if you're a parent that uh, maybe has a child that needs some extra attention, uh, you may want to consider looking them up. You can simply go to our Diocesan website. I believe their uh, schools are located on our website. If not, simply type in Morningstar School Tampa or Morningstar School St. Petersburg, and it'll certainly direct you to those schools, and they can get you more information about how you can get your child enrolled there. 40 Days for Life, Bishop, is underway. It's a big movement that started a number of years ago across the country, and our own Life Advocacy Office, headed by Sabrina Burton-Schultz, they've got some big things going on. Yo, last Sunday I was at uh, St. Michael the Archangel in Clearwater Mm -hmm. uh, for our kickoff for 40 Days for Life. This is something our diocese has participated in for years, and in doing so, we join other churches and groups throughout the world in participating in 40 Days for Life, which is an effort to promote life, particularly life in the womb at its most vulnerable stage. So uh, we had a great turnout, and uh, now for 40 days we'll have people from our diocese will be going to different facilities where abortions are provided and life is threatened to offer prayer and to give a public witness for life. There are a number of centers that people will be out in front of praying and so forth. Some of the places include the All Women's Health Care Center on Central Avenue in St. Petersburg, the Women's OBGYN Center of Countryside, and Tampa Women's Health Center in Tampa. You can find all of these locations and more about 40 Days for Life by going to the number 40daysforlife.com. And uh, that'll tell you a lot more about what's going on in our local area. Sure. And, you know, as I mentioned to those gathered for the kickoff on Sunday, but this would really be for each of us, there's, I think, three basic things that we can all do to promote life. One is prayer. You know, and I've said many times we should never underestimate the power of prayer. And in this case, the power of prayer to change minds and to change hearts and to change laws. (laughs) Number two is our witness. So our witness uh, in a public way, uh, having a presence in the public sphere, in our communities with signs, and again, just being present at these locations, giving witness to life. And then third would be advocacy. So that would be using our right to vote here in our country. it's It's a blessing. It's a gift, a freedom that we enjoy. And we need to use the rights that we have, in this case, the right to vote, to elect those who will promote life and help us in that effort. And then also, and I think finally, is to make sure that those who are considering having an abortion know that there's alternatives and that there's people who care and that there's support when they make the decision to have their child, that they're not going to be alone, uh, that the church and other, other churches and ministries are there to assist them and to hopefully provide for their needs. And, you know, I think that's been a a point of contention for some of those who say, well, they should abort. 
because, okay, the church is there when they're going through the pregnancy process, but uh, there are resources available out there that the church provides. Yeah, there sure are, and and it's good to communicate that and to say, yeah, when you make this decision, uh, you're not alone, and there's those who care about you and care about your child and will be journeying with you. We have started unofficially the election cycle, and as you mentioned a moment ago, it's important to know the candidates and what they stand for, especially when it comes to life issues. Well, it sure is. I, maybe I just speak for myself. I mean, whenever I, before I vote for a candidate, I always want to know where they stand. Uh, sometimes that's easy to find out, and sometimes we have to do a little bit of research on that. But for me, uh, as a bishop and as an American, uh, when I consider voting for somebody, one of the key things I want to know, in fact, I dare say, John, for me, it's probably the most important thing the list. is where do they stand on life issues, particularly protecting the unborn. As I've said over and over again, when we as a country, when we as a society fail to protect the most vulnerable among us, that being a child in the womb, the most innocent and vulnerable, what guarantee is that life will be respected and protected at any stage, whether that be for elderly, for those who are terminally ill, for those who face physical handicaps? What guarantee is that that any life will be protected if we can't even protect life at its most vulnerable and innocent stage in the womb? So kind of in the the pyramid of issues for me, that's right at the top. Right at the top. And we've seen, you know, countries, uh, life was taken for granted, and uh, there was extermination of those that were less than adequate. Well, not not just taken for granted, but cases where life— but where life is considered to be a burden. <laughs> right. You I know, mean, Nazi uh, Germany. Yeah. And, um, you know, even here in our own country, if, if life's not respected for the gift that it is and is only viewed in a utilitarian sense, in other words, life is respected to the degree that somebody's life is useful. But as soon as they become unable to be productive or a useful member of our society, then life is expendable. That's a path that uh, is not of God. It's not what we believe. We believe that all life is to be valued uh, as a gift that is given by God. And we've seen a swing too, Bishop, I think, in the attitudes of Americans as they, you know, maybe in the 70s and 80s, abortion was at its highest popularity, I'll say. But I think the pendulum has certainly swung. We're seeing many more abortion clinics closed. Many uh, people that were in the business, I'll call it, have left. They've seen what goes on. Well, they have, and part of that reflects the success of our pro-life efforts and even changes in legislation which require abortion doctors to have faculties or credentials at a local hospital before they can provide those procedures. Things like that have really kind of limited, thankfully, (laughs) the number of locations where an abortion can take place. So, Again, don't ever underestimate the power of prayer or the power of our vote and our advocacy to bring about change. And that leads us to our next topic, which I alluded to in our opening, that the uh, USCCB released a couple of polls uh, or some findings from some polls that Americans took that were uh, in support of the conscious protection for healthcare professionals. In other words, if you're working at a public hospital let's say Tampa General or any of them here in the Bay Area, and a case comes in and you're forced as a Catholic or a believer that you stand for a certain belief pro-life, 
you're forced to take a life or, or abortion in some way, you could get fired if you do that. That's just wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody should be forced to violate their conscience and particularly as it relates to the teaching, the moral teachings of our faith. And somebody might say, well, they can just go work somewhere else. Sure. Right? That's their choice. That's their decision. But why should they have to make that choice? Why should they have to make that decision? We should be able to obey our conscience and to do what we know is right and what is good and what is holy. We're blessed here in in our diocese to have a a number of Catholic hospitals, uh, St. Anthony here in in Pinellas County, as well as St. Joseph's over in Hillsborough County, that adhere to the moral teachings of the church. And in fact, we have ethics boards and different groups that meet on a regular basis to ensure that what's happening at those hospitals doesn't violate the moral teachings of our church and is not forcing its employees to perform procedures which would contradict our moral teachings. You know, a lot of our decision-making as far as health care really does involve insurance. Where am I going to have a procedure done in the most efficient way? And what's my plan going to cover at what facility? That's, that can be very difficult for the patient. You and I were just talking about that off air. Yeah, we we sure were. And um, I think one area where insurance comes in a lot of times is with end-of-life issues, right? You know, somebody maybe has a terminal illness. Well, uh, do we wait until they die from natural causes or do we, <laughs> you know, right. try to advance that process just because of the insurance implications and getting somebody out of the hospital or freeing up that bed, that's you know, the, for somebody it. else? Yeah, absolutely. Those are decisions we shouldn't have to make, you know, that uh, we should never have to violate our um, conscience or, or our teachings. Obviously, providing somebody with good quality care uh, should be the primary concern. Changing gears here, Bishop, um, we're in ordinary time in the church. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, so as we journeyed through the summer in the Episcopal Church, we would call it the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. When I came into the Catholic Church, I see we call it the 25th Sunday in ordinary time. So why does the church call it ordinary? Because it's not ordinary in the parishes. Parishes are busy as they ever have been. <laughs> That's a great point. And, uh First of all, John, welcome home to Thank the Catholic <laughs> Church. <laughs> but yeah, ordinary is not meant to, to say it's less important. It's just a word which we use in the, in the Catholic Church to distinguish that time from the other seasons uh, during our liturgical year. You know, we have a lot of uh, great feasts and celebrations, so to say something's ordinary seems like, well, it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, less right, important. Right. The reality is that what ordinary time provides us is an opportunity to learn about and experience the, the day-to-day life and ministry of our Lord. You know, it's when we hear all those gospel readings about what Jesus was doing on a daily basis and how his ministry was touching people through forgiveness and through healing and through his words, you know, through his preaching. So really, it's ordinary in the sense that a lot of times our lives are ordinary. Sure. <laughs> you know, our day-to-day living and ordinary time in a liturgical sense is that time between these other feasts that we celebrate, these other seasons to continue to learn about our Lord's life and his ministry. So I guess the next big season coming up would be the Advent season. Yeah, Advent starts, of course, the first Sunday after uh, the Feast of Christ the King, uh, which is usually at the end of November. So uh, we enter into that time of preparation to celebrate the birth of our Lord. 
uh, in history at Christmas and, of course, look forward to his second coming uh, in glory at the end of time. So when you go to Mass, you'll notice the colors of the church change, the the colors of the vestments change. So right now, if you go to a Catholic Mass, you'll see the uh, celebrants uh, wearing green primarily, unless it's a special feast day or something. Exactly. So there's different colors for the seasons, green during ordinary time, purple during Lent and Advent, red on feasts and on uh, feasts of like martyrs, for example, or on other feast days, and then white, you know, during the Easter season and, and on some other feast days. So it's just visually, the visual aspect of it also helps us to understand and appreciate the changing seasons during our liturgical year. Have you ever? This is a this is one that'll reach out there. You ever worn the wrong color vestment? <laughs> uh, that you know, I don't think intentionally. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, you're not going to do it. Intentionally. No, I mean, uh, you got but, up there and all of a sudden you open the book up. Oh, this is feast day of St. Matthew, and I'm wearing green. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't say I've ever done that because typically a priest would be called Preparation. to prepare, right. right? So we would. Uh, hopefully at least the day before, the night before, (laughs) look to see what the next day's celebration is and make uh, preparations for that. But but I'm sure, John, that's not always the case. So, <laughs> well, our, our guys are, are very busy, and uh, you know, sometimes you can forget a little bit. I, exactly. I know our pastor would always tell us, "Now, next week is Pentecost. We want everybody to wear red." <laughs> and so, the following week, I'd inevitably show up, and I'm wearing you know, a purple shirt, or you know, and I'm and as soon as I walk in, I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I wore the wrong color." But you know, and that's something that is interesting to me as a, a bishop and as a priest is to see the faithful actually dress in particular colors. Now, I do do a lot of confirmations, uh, which we usually celebrate Mass of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the color would be red. Right. And um, to see the faithful dress in red, you know, not just the confirmandi. A lot of times they'll have on, you know, the boys might have on a white shirt with a red tie. Girls might on, have on like a white dress with some red yeah. type of accents or whatnot. But even the parents will dress in red for those occasions. And it's kind of inspiring to see that, the, that it, it truly means something. As we wrap up our program today, Bishop, looking over the last week or so, what's been the biggest blessing for you? You're, you're out and about a little more now, and um, anything jump to mind for you? And, and I think you just named it, John. Um, you know, because of having some health issues over the summer, uh, my ministry was really limited to non-existent in terms of my ability to to get out into the community, to our parishes, and to do the things that I love to do and that I'm called to do as a bishop. So coming into the office now every day and uh, have been able to get out and do a few masses here and there throughout our diocese and will continue to do so. I will be away from the diocese next I was, week. I was going to say, uh, you've got a women's conference coming up. I'm hoping you'll still be there for that. Planning on being there, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're hoping. And then you're going to Rome. I am. Uh, Monday I leave to go over to Rome for a, a very good reason. One of our seminarians, Josh Bertrand, is going to be ordained a deacon uh, in our church, and he'll be ordained at uh, St. Peter's Basilica uh, with probably 30 or 40 of his classmates from around the United States. Josh has been studying in Rome now um, for—this is his fourth year— and so he'll be ordained a deacon, and then next May will be ordained a priest here in our diocese. So to support him and to pray for him and to be with him and his family, I'm going to travel over to Rome next week for that special occasion. Now, when you do that, who does the ordination? Does the Pope 
Uh, do you do that as a visiting instructor or what? So uh, the Holy Father uh, typically would do some ordinations of priests okay. throughout the year uh, and bishops. Uh, but for this particular one, which is for American seminarians who are being ordained to the diaconate, it would typically be a bishop or an archbishop or cardinal from from the United States who they invite to come over to do that, or they could invite a bishop or a cardinal in Rome. So, for example, I believe next week our deacons will be ordained by uh, Bishop Dealey, who is the bishop of Portland, Maine. Okay. And uh, so he was invited to come over and to be the main celebrant for that ordination. Uh, but I'll be one among probably 15 or 20 other bishops that'll be there because we have men that are being ordained as well. Sure. Well, safe travels to you. Uh, continued great health. And as we close, would you lead a prayer for our listeners for another great week? Certainly. So, God, our Father, as we continue our journey through ordinary time, we pray that each day you may open up the mysteries of our faith to us more and more, that we may grow in our knowledge of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and in coming to know him, may more and more embrace the life that he taught us to live through the gospel. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.